who day and night must play the mini games, feed the random quests, do the endless tasks, and who is driven to complete the cricket stone as he suffers all alone? The, the player. player! The, the player. player! Completion! The player! The player! The player. Completion! Welcome to Backlog Dialogues, the podcast that digs you out of your backlog before it buries you. I'm John, and joining me as always are the Arvaricus and Venetus Remnant to my no heart. Um, why are we all playing as um, fictional characters Welcome here? to Backlog Dialogues, the podcast that digs you out of your backlog before it buries you. I'm John, and joining me as always are the Arvaricus and Venetus Remnant to my no heart. Okay. So do I have to be Venetus Remnant? I mean, he's... Welcome to Backlog Dialogues, the podcast that digs you out of your backlog before it buries you. I'm John, and joining me as always are the Arborvericus and Venetus Remnant to my no heart. He's stuck in a loop. What should we do? I think we should just go on without him. Yeah. No, well, I'm no, Jared. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, uh, go on. Go on. Sorry. Sorry. Well, I'm Jared, and I'm wondering why we're all playing fights that seem to be explicitly fantasies in this within the game. Well, we know from... Kingdom Hearts one and two that these extra bosses always show up in a in a in in, in some important way in the next game, right? Well, Not the ice ones I mentioned. Be bothered. <laughs> but um, who are you? Who are we talking to? Anyway, I'm Matt. Sorry about that. <laughs> who are uh, you? So, th- sorry. This episode is going to be weird because it is the completion episode for Birth by Sleep, and. There's a reason why I felt the need to start over a few times doing that. Uh, I will get to that later. We always do this thing in this podcast where I like to go through and talk about all the stuff you need to do for completion. And we're going to get to that this time around. I know, Jared and Matt, you did not go for completion in this game. Oh, no. I mean, I didn't even go to complete do a basic completion of content because I got because I ran up against the mini games and I was done. <laughs> The funny thing about this game is that I'm usually a completionist, and this one I realized would test even my patience, and I bailed. And that's rare for me. I envy you two. <laughs> this is, I would say, the worst experience of completion I've ever had in a video game. Which is actually quite sad because I think Kingdom Hearts 2 and 3 actually did a very good job with yeah. completionism. I heard that Trails games can be brutal with completionism. This is still worse. The thing about Trails completionism is you do it as you play. There's not like this big endgame push for anything like. And if you follow a guide, you can usually get everything and do it, have a perfect save file without having to do much extra stuff. There's very little like grinding. There's very little uh, crafting. There's none of that. And well, yeah, so, like, for, like the thing is, is that I've started playing Trails with John uh, as a preparation for hopefully us eventually covering it at some point. And honestly, I I haven't found the completionism onerous. It t- makes the game take a long while. But what we're doing is that we're essentially going around and learning more and more about the world as we do it. And it doesn't take that much time to do it because they give you tools to make it easier. 
like the only thing that's really difficult about completion in Trails in the Sky is there will be occasional points where you have to get something before a story flag flips. Otherwise, you completely miss out on it on the save file. There are there are a lot of missable things in uh, Trails games, but if you have a guide, you're not going to miss them. So, and also use rotating saves. That's also extremely important. <laughs> yes, but there, there's there's just a lot of stuff in Trails where it's just kind of like oh you can get this little bit of dialogue from a minor NPC that turns out to be an interesting factoid about the world. Or maybe this fact, this NPC appears three games later. Who knows? The way Trails does what I would call completionism is not the way Kingdom Hearts does completionism. And the way Kingdom Hearts does completionism, in general, is better than the way Birth by Sleep does completionism. And I'll get to okay. why in a moment. But I think first let's start by talking about some story bits. Let's talk yeah. about final episode. There's completion of the story before the rest of the completion. Yeah, yes. we're going to go through the climax of the story and its completion, and then we're going to complain a bit about the completionism here. Yeah. Uh, so, final episode is unlocked once you've completed all three story routes. I forget if there's anything more special you need to do if you're... I think it's just complete all three routes, right? I believe final episode is automatically unlocked. It's what's after that that has more... Let's talk about final episode, which is another aqua focus. Well, it's all that's left at this point. Yeah. Yeah, um, Aqua's the only one who has not been in some way conquered by darkness. I would argue both of the other two did not end conquered, but they ended defeated or incapacitated, yeah. is what I'd rather say. Yeah, between like, Green Whale and between the defeat of Vanitas, I can't call either of them conquered. Right. Like, uh, Terra ended up without a body and uh, Ventus ended up without a heart, I'd say. Yep. His heart fled and slept. And I believe Jens had said as much in the, uh, like we were talking in the end of Aqua's route. We don't know where Ventus's heart actually is right now, but we know it's somewhere. And, but, but in the end, it may it sound like more important is that rather than finding it, they need to be a beacon for it to come back. Yeah. Aqua uh, starts off the final episode by carrying Ven on her back, leaving the mysterious tower. As she does, Ven seems to call his keyblade automatically, which opens his keyhole and reveals a door to light. Okay, then you know where we're going here. That's fine. This is just basically a direct continuation off of the ending of Aqua's story, right? Yes, pretty much. Well, she's literally uh, leaving the tower after the meeting with Yen Sid and Mickey. Yeah. yeah. And where do they end up? The the remains of the land of departure. And it's basically floating rubble in a dark void. Yeah, it is a very sad state, especially from where we started, and all that Aqua finds is Ericus's keyblade on the ground. Yeah, like the building is in front of them, but it's clearly crumbling. Like there's gouges missing. Like this, much as the land is just not there. Is the background just kind of like a still uh, background black. of? It's, well, yeah, it's, but there's also like pieces of yeah, the landscape kind of floating there, right? Yeah, you don't see much of it because it's kind of a tight camera, but it's blackness and clouds. And, like you do see cl- like dark clouds rolling in it. Mm-hmm. She picks up the keyblade. She actually takes a moment to uh, to they tell the master that she just says, "Eric is. I'll bring Tara back, but you'll see you were wrong. He's not as weak as you thought." Yep. So she's looking for that faith that maybe she could have found more of before. Yeah, and um, so she walks up the stairs to the ruined palace, and inside the. I have in our notes throne room. I don't think that's the right word for this. It's the meeting room. I guess a big yeah. stained glass window, but like yeah. a, a chunk is blown out of the middle. It's the reception room of the land of departure. It's where they were giving the original mark of mastery test to yeah. Aqua and Terra. 
Yeah, yeah. Like there's rubble on the ground. We see we see chunks missing from the masonry. It's 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 a wrecked building, and just in silence, Aqua just sits and thinks of what Eric has told her back when he was giving her the extra war. Yeah. Uh, and so actually we are going to find out a bit about what secrets that Eric has told her that we just only learn about now because it's the right time to know about it. Yep. Is that in case anything happens to me, like, like I'm sure nothing to do with my excellent teaching, but in case something happens, there's a secret that we can do to lock this land away to keep darkness away from it. Yep. Mm-hmm. So this is a land where light and darkness exist in, in balance and this neutral ground would be abused. So we much safeguard it's with our trick. So Aqua places Ventus on one of the chairs, mm-hmm. takes Ericus's keyblade, and begins the trick. Yeah, much like any other keyhole, but but it's a little more dramatic. It's like wind gusting her, but it appears in the back of the throne behind Ventus. So she holds out Ericus's keyblade, and apparently his key specifically will transform the land of departure by opening this keyhole. And it transforms it into a place where all who enter will be lost to oblivion. And you just go, ah, damn it. <laughs> a bright light envelops the room. A place where Eric says that no one but Aqua will be able to go. All others will be lost. Yep. And the palace becomes sheer white. A familiar white. Familiar ethereal chains move along the ground and walls. As Aqua tells Ven, she'll be back to wake him before he knows it. He sits in a blank white room surrounded by the heart emblem on the chains. And special door, like it's a, the all the chains lead to the throne in the middle, but it's not binding him. It simply is around him. And with that, Aqua leaves the chamber of waking, steps out of the palace, and the land of Treparture is transformed into Castle Oblivion. So we can blame you for that. I actually really loved this entire sequence because when I realized that the land of departure became Castle Oblivion, that's actually a huge amount of lore put into place because I always wondered why Castle Oblivion was the way it was. I, and it, it turns out that it was a, it was a defense mechanism. Not even Xehanort ever found, or, you know, Xemnas ever found the Chamber of Waking, even yeah. though he had all the nobodies looking for it. This is yeah, like, I mean, this is multiple games worth of payoff right now. Yeah. This is really it's good. Like, the place is a mind trap. Naminé wasn't the one unwinding. She was simply the one putting it back together in her new path. Yeah. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. this is what Castle Oblivion is actually for. It is a labyrinth to protect Ventus. That is it. Yep. It is even Star is a labyrinth to protect the lamb, but now she repurposed it to protect one who is helpless. Yeah. And she looks out, to, she just kind of just looks over her work, thinking about, I bet this is something annoying with cards for a kid later. <laughs> <laughs> but then she hears a voice. She hears Tara's voice, asking her to put an end to him. He, she calls out with her mind of where to find him, and she leaves the land. She thinks eventually she'll be back soon. Received Bright Crest Keyblade. We follow Tara's voice to where else but... Radiant Garden. The town is also cast in shadow, not as deep as over the destroyed land of, of, of departure, but is definitely as if night or with a storm come in. I kind of feel like with Xehanort's victory, question mark in the uh, Keyblade graveyard, it seems like almost all of the world have been tipped into shadow at the very least. Like a back, shaking your heart's appearing and vanishing. Like we know that at some point, the Enchanted Dominion, the Dwarfwood Lands, the Castle of Dreams, all of them. All of them are destroyed and compressed into what we later see, or what we saw back in the end of the world in Kingdom Hearts 1. But what of Disney Town? 
Does Disney Town turn into Castle Disney? I feel like no. I feel like it has to, right? No, because Mickey's already a king. A Goofy and Donald are, are in their royal outfits. I think this is like, like maybe get maybe uh, Disney Castle. It's the same world. It's like the outskirts of it. The castle's in the distance. We can't see it. <laughs> I was going to suggest that perhaps Disney Castle exists in Disney Town. But after this entire disaster, the town itself was consumed by darkness and only the castle remains as a habitable place. Maybe that's why the keystone. So the keystone is a thing that ties it to its distant past. I was going to suggest they reinforce the town rather than that. Well, so would that mean that the cornerstone is sort of like the thing that is protecting it from the forces that are crushing all these other worlds into paste? I mean, does the cornerstone ever come up again? No. Oh, well, then we then it's not like they can prove us wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's headcanon. We stay a little bit vague and just question it. We can't say that we're wrong. Yep. Uh, in the central plaza of Radiant Garden, Aqua sees Terra Xehanort. Yeah, they say he's standing silently, silver hair, yellow eyes, just with a blank expression on his face. So she runs up. Well, she walks up to him rather slowly. Like she's definitely feeling a bit cautious. And first, he reaches out and grabs her by the throat and lifts her. Then he asks, Who am I? Such a terrible darkness. Fight it, Terra, please. Terra, you say? And as the black aura that surrounded him dissipates, he drops Aqua. Terra's heart has been extinguished, smothered by the darkness within him. He attacks her with his keyblade. Aqua jumps back and takes a battle stance. My name is Master Aqua. Now return my friend's heart or pay the price. So this entire sequence, I get the feeling that this is so soon after Xehanort has taken over or possessed Terra's body that he's not quite completely at his physical peak with it at this point. Well, let's remember what happens. Unless we assume that Aqua and Ventus drifted in the void a long time, which I don't think anything suggests – about the same time that everything was happening with Aqua and Ventus, Terra had taken a form of lingering will and beat Terra Xehanort down to, to unconsciousness. They were consumed by Kingdom Hearts' reaction. And the Keyblade's explosion, of course. That definitely means that, like, Xehanort is still struggling for control here, but gains it's, just enough for us to have a fight. Yeah, it's, it's clear, like, his mind is disrupted first, but then mind comes into play. But then we'll actually see this fight. There's a lot to say about it. There's a story being told of his control as it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we get the feeling that after this full fusion, Xehanort is more powerful than he ever was at any other point. He can fully access the power of the body. He has every bit of his knowledge and skill in a body at physical prime. Okay, he didn't ever seem like he was that much of a slouch when he was uh, in his old man form. But, but it did seem that it, it, Tara did seem physically stronger to him. Like you get the impression he's probably frail or has relatively low stamina. But right. even though he did, that's, throw why, the he, one that's why he probably just depends on like magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he actually in his fight with Tara, he doesn't do a lot of wielding of his keyblade. I mean, he's right. fast. But he moves. He uses minimal, efficient movements. He hits point blank whenever he can. You get the impression, like I said, he's conserving things very carefully. Like you probably, he probably runs dry quickly. Yeah, if you've watched a lot of that kind of anime or even wuxia stuff, you know it's kind of like fighting the old master. You know, the old master is extremely strong, not because he's necessarily physically strong but because he has absolute efficiency of movement and absolute right. control over his spiritual power. 
I will say this fight we have now, you get the feeling he's not quite there because he is going for big, loud motions here. It's almost like he's celebrating his new body. He was doing that a little bit against against Lingering Will as well. But again, he's also practicing. It also seems like he's practicing Tara's body a little bit, too, because he's using all his moves. Yeah. Yeah. So the fight theme for this fight is Dismiss, which is a bit of a heavy quarrel version to the Stadi, which makes a lot of sense because it's Ansem Nort. But you also got some other mixes in. You got Aqua and Terra's themes cutting in. And also uh, Fragments of Sorrow. He's fighting using Terra's special moves, including some of the ones you might recognize the Lingering Will, like the massive Keyblade Cannon. Yeah, yeah. For me, it was a pretty easy fight because I've just been grinding on optional bosses all day. I wasn't even doing that. I was just fairly strong with Aqua, ground a bit. And this fight was still pretty easy. Like I said, he's yeah. he's zipping around. He's shooting darkness using Keyblade moves. But you can kind of just keep hitting him from your end. And I will say, I think it is good when JRPGs have the last boss be a bit easier because it's kind of like we're at the end of the story and we want to feel triumphant. Save the hard stuff for the optional bosses. <laughs> well, the fight isn't done, of course. Like you beat him for a bit and he does seem to get a little bit frustrated. But then I kind of how to describe it. Like he just basically pulls into himself more darkness shoots out. And then we see a familiar dark being appear. Yep, the Guardian Heartless appears behind Xehanort. Which means he had access it even before he was a Seeker of Darkness at Heartless. Can we think about the implications of that? Yeah, let's do that, because I think it's now pretty clear that the Guardian is Terra's Heartless. Yes. So essentially, the Guardian is attached to Terra Nort here, but it is still Terra's Heartless and kind of attached to his body in some way. But the reason he's a Heartless is because he has been forced out of the body. Yeah. And therefore is now a heartless. Yep. He's also using it for greater effect. At this point in the fight, uh, he actually slows down moving considerably, mostly hovers while the Guardian pushes you back or shoots you a blast. Until such point as the Guardian grabs you, which point he'll approach you with your Keyblade to attack. Yeah. Or you can just use Thunder Surge and be completely OP and win without even using it. <laughs> okay. And with this new fight, the battlefield has changed. Like a, a, a dark purplish wavy dome has appeared over the fight area, almost like it's controlled. And then and from time to time, it changes to like a yellow field. At that point, Terrazanor is exhausted while the Guardian desperately pushes you away. Like it's, it's you can tell he's still like having problems. Yeah. It's definitely clear that Terra is still trying to fight back for control. There was not a doubt of that for a second, because like, yeah. as soon as the fight's over, he starts struggling, and then suddenly he's reeved, and, and like a light starts forming. It's not covering his whole body, but it's but it's like growing across him. Yep. Aqua calls out to him, but what Xanor does is he puts his keyblade to his chest. This will teach you get yep. out of my heart. Sorry, yep. I still have for you guys, but this no, seems fine. like a rash action, by the way. Oh, it is. Um. So yeah. It causes him to fall into a puddle of darkness, which Aqua chases after him into. And there's visual like as he does, like we see like we see his chest glow. Then we see the Guardian appear. It's like almost like it reappears. And it's it's what kind of melts into the darkness. Like it's falling apart as it forms the puddle. And then he's then he falls into it like completely senseless and starts sinking. Mm -hmm. So Aqua is falling into this basically pitch black ocean. She jumped in directly, but immediately switched over to her, I want to call it a bow rider almost. <laughs> yeah, Aqua grabs out to Terranort's hand, uh, just as they are getting further and further from the light. She turns it around and she sees the opening, but it's clearly closing. And so she essentially sacrifices herself along with her keyblade 
in order to send Terra Nort back into the world of light. She thinks to herself, like, if she thinks, like, if she doesn't do something, they're both going to be lost. So she summons her vehicle. She puts her keyblade in, in Terra's hand. And let's say she's putting it in Terra's hand, saying that yeah. she's with him. And then she's, she uses, like, it's almost like she casts it with her hand and, and launches him towards the light. Yep. And so if you remember Zemnis when he was in the, what was it, Chamber of Repose? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was uh, talking to Aqua's armor. It must be that stored in her keyblade, or perhaps it, like when the her keyblade vanished. If we remember the armor, the basically the keyblade becomes the armor and the vehicle together. Right. All she can do is apologize, as as then yep. she falls. She looks satisfied, but at the same time, she is sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I might not be there as soon as I thought, but I promise to be there one day to wake you up. And, yep, we have a scene transition to Destiny Islands, and Sora and Riku lay on the beach. I would say here it's night, but it doesn't look like the evil night of the others. It's a little bit cloudy, but just kind of looks like it's literally night. It just looks like night on Destiny Islands. I think we've seen nighttime on Destiny Islands before, and it looks just like this. Yes. Like I said, there's some clouds on the horizon, which strikes me as deliberate, but... <laughs> yep. Riku decides that it's time to head home. Sora follows, but then Riku notices that Sora's crying, and Sora doesn't get to know why. Yeah, it's like his expression and his voice are mostly the same, so it's like it's happening almost externally. Yeah, Riku decides that there might be somebody out there that's really hurting, and Sora is somehow feeling that. And of course, Sora is confused, but you know, it's Riku. Riku knows what he's talking about, usually. What can, he, what can I do? Riku suggests that Sora just needs to open his heart and listen. He looks to the sky, opens his heart, and we cut to the chamber of waking where Ventus is sitting. Yeah. And we hear Sora's voice and saying, hey, can you hear me? And then the we, scene ends. We cut to Radiant Garden. Now it's kind of like it looks like it's dawn or, or, or twilight. Basically, the, the dark clouds have faded and it's well, maybe it's not bright day. At least it's not the same like overcast. In Radiant Garden, frickin Brag leads Ansem the Wise and Dylan to the central plaza. Dylan doesn't say anything, of course. Yeah, Dylan doesn't say anything. Dylan has nothing to say. I mean, hell, half the seeds, he's literally he's literally half off screen. You're seeing it, like his lower yep. half for half of it. Bragg points out that it's Terra Xehanort, because of course he did. And they said, Ansem was like, wake up, young man, who are you? And what does Terra Xehanort say? Xehanort. Bragg smirks and takes yeah. Xehanort to the castle. And he goes to Dylan, uh, see that over there? We see Aqua's armor and key blazes. You should bring that too. Yep. Scene change again. Realm of darkness. She walks on a dark pathway in, in, in pitch black, surrounded by bits of land floating. Like there's not even a hint of clouds now. It, the the exterior is just dark, and there's just this winding, barren path. How long have I been down here? It may have been ages. She's just you just get the impression she just keeps walking. Mm-hmm. She just keeps walking, and heartless keep attacking her. Specifically, a dark side. I said, and then other dark sides that actually form around her. There's at least three, four, maybe more. Maybe I should fade to darkness here. But then suddenly in the distance, there's a pair of glints of light and something bursts through one of the dark sides and, and strikes between them. As Ventus is in Terra's keyblades, doing a dance in the sky together, striking down the enemies before they vanish into the distance. She remembers Ventus and Terra as she gazes at her wayfinder. And she smiles and even laughs. Because she's surprised that she smiled mm-hmm. and laughed. I said, "Like it's like it's been so long. I almost forgot how." I think is her line. Mm-hmm. So she remembers Ventus and Terra, 
and Ericus and Mickey, and all the Disney folks you met, and some asshole fantasy, Final Fantasy characters, and some more Disney assholes, and some furries, Kyrie, and Riku, and Sora. And she sees them all. Obviously, they're in. They're in like they're just in pure light, because the memories are her light. So she says, "There's always a way." Credits roll. Yep. And there is, in fact, a stinger. Oh yeah, there's something after the credits. We see Sora, and he's landed in a dive to the heart. I believe it's once again a white one. It's a very simple heart right now. I don't think there's any symbols at all. This is Sora's extremely simple one. He sees he sees like a papa fruit, the raft, uh, little things oh. like a, a trident harpoon for some reason, a fish mobile, yeah, some sort of funny mask, mushrooms, like, wrench. It's a very and, simple one that's just like. Very overlaid on what clearly looks like a Destiny Island backdrop. So this is the state of Sora's heart before the events of Kingdom Hearts One, basically. Yep. Yep. Like, like Riku's heart's probably just full of full of I'm so deep bits at this point. Yep. So <laughs> a white light descends, and Sora asks if it can hear him. So, like a, yes, I heard your voice. It called to me. Yep. It follows the sound of sea of light. Sora catches that light, and the heart tells Sora he gave it a second chance. The, the light also says it, that it's going to have to sleep and can ask it can stay with Sora. Sora brings the heart into his own because he's the ultimate good boy. And Sora's just, it's a, I understand he's just a positive kid, but it's kind of funny how little he questions. Yeah, he just goes, you know, I think it worked. Like, like are you sad? And the funny thing is Riku look, he looks at his scats like, you say weird shit. I, I kind of am amused by the fact that Sora has like, four or five different characters in him and he doesn't even realize it. This is the explanation for where that started. Why all these weird things have happened. Why there's so many different versions of Sora is Sora opened his heart and let in another heart. Yep. Like you do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, once you open your hand, you might as well call all the tiles. Yep. God damn it. <laughs> We're in a Mahjong reference. I actually thought I was reaching with that one, man. <laughs> yep. You can't reach if you open your hand. Nope. Good return. Good return. So, (laughs) yes. So the curtain falls on the tragedy. It appearing the sparkle stardust as stars shoot across. In time, the worlds would be saved by these two heroes who stood beneath the same blaze of stars. Save. That's worth my sleep. Let's not do anything else. No, no. I already sang about it, John. Damn it. Before we we go on to the last part, let's give John a a small couple minutes of reprieve. And is there anything we want to say to wrap up the story before we go on to that? Just like any sort of analysis or anything that we want to tie back to previous games beyond what we've already done. In some ways, what happened here in the in this final moments is that though Aqua was attempting to learn her lessons, she still was set on the path of the tragedy, so she could not avoid a dark fate, even with yeah. the light she finds in it. What's important is that she still has hope at the end, even in, in the like she is in the absolute pit of despair, and she still is able to find hope because of all the friends around her. But what Aqua did, her guilt still pushed her. She did what she she accepted what she had to do. She had to leave Ventus on his own while she could do her thing, that she would trust that he would be okay. But then when she went to help Terra, she still chooses self-sacrifice. And maybe it was at the point that even what she was trying to do, she didn't have another path open to her, but it still means the path she set her on still led her to 
a very painful, uh, well, ongoing, ongoing experience. Let's call it. The, the interesting thing about this one is that it kind of sets up a situation where Sora and Riku are going to want to save Aqua, Terra, and Ventus. And they're all incapacitated or inaccessible in some way. And we're going to have to find some way to get them out. Yep. Right. And like, I think it's important that we do end with this message about Riku and Sora because they need, they are set up as a contrast to uh, Terra, Aqua, and Ventus now. What Aqua sees at the end is she sees the connection is even as strained and, and damaged it was that the connection is not dead. And that's why she has to look forward. Well, we see Sora almost casually make powerful connections. Yep. It's almost like we're seeing here's why he may avoid this path. This game has set up Sora, Riku and Kairi as a foil for Terra, Ventus and Aqua. Simply not necessarily be- in that order, but yes. Yeah, not necessarily in that order, but they, they're they they're kind of foils for each other. And essentially, essentially, Sora and Riku have become a version of two of those characters who have not fallen into the mistakes that, that destroyed the other ones. Mm-hmm. I, I think we're going to be able to talk about that a lot more in the next major game. Dream Drop Distance goes into that comparison a lot, which I'm pretty stoked to talk about. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Because we had to tell this prequel here, we had to set up a state for why things are the way they are right now. Also kind of set up a goal uh, yeah. for where we're going to go. Like this game did a lot of heavy lifting to build up these stakes for Kingdom Hearts 3. What I was and, the, and the sad thing is once Aqua vanished in the stage, the what the full story is not very clear. I feel like Yen Sid and Mickey only got secondhand accounts of most of it. So yeah. And near yeah, them also, know what happened, what happened to Terra or Aqua at the end, and they probably only and they might not even know about what happened with Ventus. They might not know what Ericus knew. Yeah, it also so. kind of explains why we have Ansem Seeker of Darkness and Zemnis. Mm-hmm. Uh, be- simply, it it kind of becomes a state where okay, this this particular incarnation of Xehanort has lost his memories, only remembers that his name is Xehanort. And he, and he also only seems to remember only part of the plan and by Ansem Seeker of Darkness and yeah. Zemnis only seem to like be playing at smaller versions of what Kingdom Hearts actually is. We get the impression that he regains a portion of his memory because Ansem does mention that Xehanort changes someone and things suddenly move forward. Mm-hmm. And so and when that happens, it's clear like he puts forward some portion of the plan. That's how he convinces the others to work with him. But he doesn't know all the plans. And it's clear they just kind of have this muddled identity. The, their full identity is is not quite destroyed, but it's it's badly damaged and submerged. So when it comes back in pieces, he just kind of isn't still with the drives that he had. Mm-hmm. In both versions of him, I believe that we see where they try to create artificial kingdom hearts in different manners. Yes. So there's one more thing after final episode called the secret episode. But in order to get that, we have to get completion done. Well, depends <laughs> on what difficulty you're in. True. If you're playing on critical mode, technically you don't need to do any of this. But I did anyway because I'm insane. I just ground and beat up a whole bunch of, uh, of pointless edgelord monsters with Mega Flare. Yeah. <laughs> um, 9,999 uh, unversed over all three uh, game sets. Yep. Let's talk about completion. First things first, sure. completing the journal. Completing a journal for a character requires you to have 
all the commands. All of them. It means you need to have all the finish commands. You need to have all of the form changes because those count as commands. And that includes the special ice cream form change that is random chance if you use the ice cream enough times. Fun. So that means you have to you have to go through the whole process of making all the ice cream for each character. You have to complete various minigame challenges for every character, all of them. Uh, so like you have to do all the races. You have to master rank every song in Ice Cream Beat. I didn't find that that's so bad, but yeah. It is terrible, my friend. It is absolutely terrible. <laughs> There's a reason why it's terrible. Like, I'll get into that at the end of here. But it's <laughs> just in general, like, there isn't as wide of an array of things as you need to do in Kingdom Hearts 2 for completion. But there's a good amount of stuff you need to do for completion that I feel like maybe you don't need to do this. But that's just the journal part of things. The next thing you have to do for completion is called the Mirage Arena, which we have dutifully avoided talking about in all of our times, but every character has access to it basically right out the gate. I mean, I tried to do this with Aqua, but when I realized that getting to the late levels, you actually had to do more minigame completions, I was done. Yeah, you have to rank up in it in order to unlock more things. Part of ranking up in it requires you to do command board stuff and requires you to do rumble racing stuff. I don't know why, but the main thing you need to do in the Mirage Arena is this game's equivalent of the tournament fights from last two Kingdom Hearts games. Why it's here and not in Olympus Coliseum, no one knows. Fortunately, it's not in Olympus Coliseum because I don't want to fucking talk to Phil now. <laughs> no one, no one's got their head on straight there. No one's actually organizing shit, so. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of fights in this are, like, stuff we've already seen in the game, but there are a few unique monsters in here. The first one is the Iron and Prisoner, which gets four different forms. The first one is, like, bound up on all shackled and chained up. Second one is a bit more unchained. The third one is, like, fully unchained and has a... Uh, I, I forget what weapon it has. It's like Here's how I describe it. It starts like with its arms wrapped in a straitjacket and its lower half sort of enclosed in this big metal canister. Yeah, yeah. It, that one has its arms free. It makes me think of the summon from Final Fantasy Anima. It does, yeah. It kind of does. Then the third one is completely unleashed and the fourth one changes color. But what I think of specifically is the original Death of Superman comic. In that, the monster Doomsday, he starts like he started in several teas beforehand being heavily tied up. You can't see him because he's covered in his huge garment with his arms strapped by his back inside like a coffin. And once he rips his way free, he only has one arm free. And as the fight goes on, his restraints get progressively shredded like one rips off half of it and frees a second arm and so forth so i hear a prisoner actually made me think of that okay because he gets more dangerous as he's unleashed something that is important to, to note when you're fighting him that i learned after multiple uh, runs through this is that he is weak to fire so if you hit him with a fire spell he's actually stunned for a bit so you can get in and do a good combo on him this is important <laughs> Another unique monster that shows up in there is the Mimic Master. He's an unversed with a book that summons a lot of dudes. I think Mega Flare is a good way to deal with him. I would say probably the most interesting fight in here is actually Monstro. Yes, you get to fight Monstro for some reason. That's kind of an interesting one. Occasionally, this is a bit intimidating because he's big enough that when you're fighting around someone, you'll turn, lose track, you'll turn, he's just flying at the camera. So that can be a little intimidating. The most fun part about Monstro is once you understand how to fight him, He's actually the fastest fight in for a metal game. And so when you are ready to grind metals to buy all the stuff that you want to buy from the shop, 
Monstro's the choice to grind. Interesting. The fight with Monstro starts, you're inside Monstro, and you need to defeat all the monsters inside it. A single Mega Flare is usually enough to kill them all. Then you are shot out of Monstro's blowhole and have to fight him on the water. You can launch a barrel at him to stun him, then zip over, Thunder Surge a few times, activate Rhythm Mixer, go into Rhythm Mixer, basically bring all his HP down after a single round of Rhythm Mixer. Then you just kind of have to make him beach himself so you can beat up his face. Yeah, like the first time I fought him, it took me like 10 minutes to win, I think. And later I got it down to less than a minute every time I fought him. Hmm. Like, you get good at this kind of stuff when you're trying to go for completion. I can't believe I'm good at this kind of stuff, going for completion. Hmm. You get the ultimate weapon Keyblade for beating the hardest gauntlet, by the way. It's called Villain's Vendetta. Ugh. Like, won't you uh, fight a whole bunch of powered-up bosses? Yeah, it's a boss rush, and that's the one where Not you it. fight the fourth form of Iron and Prisoner at the end as well. Um, other things that you fight in it, you fight the spinning wheel unverse, you fight the pumpkin carriage, you fight the ice colossus. Apparently you have to do the rumble racing again. Yeah, I covered that a little bit earlier. Uh, you need to do oh. rumble racing and a command board because there is no god. <laughs> uh, also, in Terra's route, we get the last Xehanort report that we need. Xehanort's report number five. At present, the lanes and corridors that run between the worlds may only be traversed by us Keyblade wielders and those who have given themselves over to darkness. As the former, our duty is to cross the chasms between the worlds and guard against the latter, whose darkness crumps and contaminates so that no world need ever be lost again. Few Keyblade wielders remain now. I have heard of but a handful of others outside my circle, but the world is vast and more of our kind may be out there. Now, in addition to the realm of light in which we reside, there is also a realm of darkness and the realm between which connects the two. The realm of darkness is most forbidden. I am told none who set foot there have ever returned. So yeah, we're just kind of just confirming what he's been saying about um, his view of the world. It's kind of, Interesting that we're talking about that right now because we have Aqua stuck in the realm of darkness right now. Yep. Kind of and we also did have Riku stuck in the realm of darkness with Mickey as well for a while. Um, no. Well, yeah. Riku was in the realm of darkness with Mickey. He came back. Uh, Sora and Riku ended up in the realm of darkness at the end of Kingdom Hearts 2, and they got back. So yep. maybe it's not entirely true. Well, they had to go through Castle Oblivion to get back the first time, I think. I don't even remember. How did... How did Riku end up in Castle Oblivion after the end of Kingdom Hearts 1? Did he just- Pluto uh, took him just there. Wait. No, no. Basically what happens is he's sleeping in the void and then Diz's voice going to be handsome, mocks him into to, to stay asleep. He just wakes up in the basement. Okay, so it's Diz's fault. Yep. Yep. It's Diz's fault. There we go. Finally, <laughs> the last part of completion because I'm not going to touch on all the other stuff, is the four optional bosses. The first one is Armor of Ericus, which is in the Mirage Arena fight, Light's Lessons. And allow me to say, folks, fuck this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't yeah. fight any of these, so this is all you. Yeah, I know. And you've never fought them either, right, Matt? I think I went up against Armor of Ericus and was like, you know what? I'm, I did that one, and I decided, you know, I'm not going to do any of the other optional bosses. This was painful enough. Yeah, um, Armor of Ericus is heavily armored, and that means that most moves for the characters don't do that much damage to him. He has different moves for each character, which is kind of cool, but, like, the fight is just a really frustrating grind. So, here's my notes from the fight. The fight is sort of emblematic of the things I think are Birth by Sleep's biggest failings. 
compared to Lingering Will, which was a dynamic brawl where every fight is different and you have to learn a bunch of patterns that may or may not appear, this fight is small, plotting, and repetitive. It's full of cheap hits that require your own cheapness to deal with. The boss has high defense, which makes it feel like a slog, especially when the only commands that really do damage are shot lock, counter hammer, and finishers. I had the hardest time against him with Aqua, and I had the most fun with Ventus. And the reason why I had the most fun with Ventus is his unique command against Ventus is really fun. It's a lot of tornadoes that fill up the arena. It's pretty cool. So Terra's was annoying because it was a giant meteor, and you have to go from one side of the arena to the other in fast enough time, and it's a force camera perspective, which is awkward. I forget what Aqua's was. I think it's just like a bunch of water that goes spewing around, and you have to jump around over it. Is there any kind of plot significance or context to this guy, or is this just like a pure endgame what-if? It is the Mirage Arena with some data on Ericus and his prime. Gotcha. There is no plot significance to it whatsoever. It's just we were basically fighting fight data of Ericus and his prime. That's it. The next optional boss is Vanitas Remnant, who, is, who you find at the Badlands after you've completed the game. And you know what? Fuck this guy. <laughs> this is the worst designed fight in all of Kingdom Hearts. And I mean all. There is I would rather play Chain of Memories again than fight Vanitas Remnant. <laughs> wow, strong words there. Everything that sucks about fighting Vanitas is turned to eleven. He dodges stuff freely, he has an annoying to avoid attacks, and he punishes you for trying to play fair. So I did it. <laughs> <laughs> he, you fight him in the same arena that you fought Lingering Will in Kingdom Hearts 2, but this time it's not really set up for him, and his AI is pretty fucking bad. So what you do is you take out a bunch of commands that would cause him to do certain things, and then you fill up your command deck with nothing but strike raid. Run away at the start of the fight, get behind this big old rock pillar, stand on the other side of the rock pillar from him, and just pelt him with strike raid. He will dodge it occasionally. But occasionally you will also hit him. And eventually he will just sort of like let you pelt him with strike raid to death. I beat him this way with all three characters. And huh. it not once did I enjoy it. I when I was fighting with Terra, I decided I was not going to play fair. So, yeah, there is no reason to play fair against this fight. It's not a fun fight when you try to play fair. Maybe just don't do it. And again, this does not really seem like it's plot important. No, it is. I mean, it's a bit more plot important than the Armor of Ericus because this is a remnant of v Vanitas, as the name implies, left behind after the fight in the Keyblade Graveyard. So how did he leave a remnant behind? I don't know. I mean, you're still also just sort of like exploring the end game and the post things as the character that apparently was lost to it. So it's kind of like a, it is kind of a what if still. But eh, there, I'm sure there's some explanation, but I don't care to figure it out. <laughs> if you win, you get the Void Gear Keyblade. Was this one better than the Ultima Weapon? Yes, it's better than the Ultima Weapon, I'm pretty sure. Huh. Um, actually, the best weapon... There are multiple weapons that are better than the Ultima Weapon. Interesting. So, next up is No Heart, which is from the Mirage Arena fight, Peering into the Darkness. So, remember the Armored Zemnis from the End of Kingdom Hearts 2? Yep. How he was sitting in that chair and doing nothing? Well, he just kind of was feeling comfy. <laughs> what if instead he got up, pulled out the no-name keyblade and actually started fighting you? Does he still have a giant impractical cape attached to the ground? It goes away. So basically, think of this fight as fighting Xehanort in his prime. Yep. 
And guess what? This fight is actually fun. I enjoyed this fight. Unlike Armored Xemnas in Kingdom Hearts 2, this guy gets up to fight rather than just sitting around like a dipshit. And so the fight has some faces to it. The first phase has no heart's keyblade, which is fittingly called no name. It just forms a barrier and you have to fight it. It's a pretty easy warm up to the whole fight. Like you have to avoid a bunch of attacks that are coming in. He will occasionally vacuum you in or try and push you away. But you just got to defeat the Keyblade. It's super vulnerable to shot locks. It's fine. Phase two is a frenetic dance that feels a lot like Lingering Will. Like, he has a lot of different attacks that require different responses and patience and learning. Unlike the last two ones where I kind of got frustrated, this fight I had enough fun the first time I beat it that the other two times I looked forward to going back to it and I got better each time. It is a good fight for that reason. Phase three begins when he flies up and starts to spin. And like, this is his limit break. He explodes three times, each one with a Heartless Angel effect. Like, if you remember, Heartless Angel was Sephiroth's big move in uh, Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2, which would drop your HP to 1 and your MP to 0. Here, this move will drop your HP to 1, put your focus to 0, which means you won't be able to use any shot locks, and it puts all your commands on cooldown. If you're hit by that, he'll probably move to kill you. And he goes back to his phase two moves after that, but, like... This fight is the one where thundersurge.deck became a thing for me. I assume that you have to basically move away when, uh, in order yeah. to not get hit by the explosions. Yeah, you have to be watching what he's doing, and then when he starts doing that, you get away and wait for him to stop doing it so you can get back in and get back to fighting. Like, Got it. It still has the problem of BBS's uh, general character control feeling like ass, and so it's not that fun to actually like get into melee. But like learning the strategy for this fight was engaging, and I did enjoy it. It was great. Like, I had the easiest time against him with Aqua, but I also had the most fun with Aqua. Winning the fight gives you the Royal Radiance Keyblade, which is better than the ultimate weapon. The ultimate weapon isn't ultimate this time. Finally, there's one more fight called Mysterious Figure. Like, the game calls him unknown, but the fan base calls him Mysterious Figure to distinguish him from Xemnas in Kingdom Hearts 1. Because they're always unknown. Yeah. Yep. You fight him in the ruins of the Land of Departure. And you get a little cutscene when you see him, too. A cloak guy appears, walks by you, turns around, draws two lightsabers, and is a different stance for Xemnas. Then he tries to sell you some NFTs. Wait, wait, no, he tries to fight you. <laughs> oh, boy. Why, what's with the NFTs here? I'm not sure I get that one. I'll explain next season. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, he has way too fucking many attack powers to describe here, but... I will just say up front, uh, once you understand how to fight him, he is actually fun. Not as fun as No Heart, but pretty fun. Better than Armor of Ericus and Vanita's Remnant, that's for sure. Unfortunately, if you put on too many action commands, special jumps, dashes, that kind of thing, he will use a move called Doom, which can easily instantly kill you. What Doom does is it catches you in laser webs, and you have to mash X to escape before a counter reaches zero. Each time he catches you with Doom, the counter starts at a lower number. Before I figured this out... Doom killed more runs than all other moves he used combined. <laughs> That's like, terrible. Like, I would be in the middle of a very good pull, able to get pretty far in, and then he would just doom me and I'm dead, and I'm like, what? How do I deal with this? What am I supposed to do? So go online and I look and I find out, build your deck like this, where it's like, put a bunch of action commands in, the ones that you absolutely need, take all the extraneous stuff out, and then like, in the eighth slot, in between a bunch of gaps, put in one more action command. And this fucks with his AI such that he does not do Doom. Huh. The AI in this game is not great. 
I know who this one is now, but I I'm not entirely sure I should say until later. Uh, hold on to that thought. So Thunder Surge.deck is also very good here. Like you won't get Rhythm Mixer as much though. Like Rhythm Mixer is sort of like the core strategy against No Heart because um, it will let you do a shit ton of damage all at once, and you can get in and hit hit him enough to get, build it up. Here, this fight is very much more stick and move. You wait for him to start doing an attack, you poke in with a Thunder Surge, and then you get away. That is how you win. Like, it is... You have to be very reactive, and you can't get greedy, ever. If you get greedy against this fight, you will die. That's how it works in Advanced Monster Hunter, too, so I'd probably be okay at that. I never tried this one. Another thing that's really good is there's a specific block move called Renewal Block, or in Aqua's case, Renewal Barrier, where if you block while you have it up, instead of preventing the damage, you are healed for the amount of damage you have to be dealt. Oh, that's cool. Renewal block is not very good against most monsters in terms of healing because most monsters don't deal that much damage to you. I guess all these optional bosses, a block is basically a full cure. <laughs> it's funny, actually. So you just like block. Oh, look, all my HP is back. It's great. So when you beat a serious figure, you get the no-name Keyblade. Yeah, after the fight, he reappears. Your character that you're fighting him on seems to be ready to go another round. But then he just nods and turns to leave, but not before trying one last time to get it on his great new NFT project. God damn it, no. I can't make those. <laughs> so after this, and this is probably the reason why John has such a toxic relationship with this game, so that probably wouldn't have been so bad if we just had to do this once. But you have to do all of the above three times, once with each character to get a perfect <laughs> save. It is the worst experience I've ever had going for completion in a game. And unfortunately, I did it again with Dream Drop Distance. It's really <laughs> fascinating to watch you uh, just drag yourself into this because you do you very much are doing this to yourself. I know. I know. But <laughs> I feel obligated at least to be able to talk as much about the full experience of the game as I can. And that's why I'm doing this. It's not just for me. It is for you all listeners. I hope you're happy with yourselves. <laughs> that's so really I don't want to I don't want to end on that note. There's one more story thing to talk about and that's the secret episode. Yes. So now that I'm done filibustering about uh, completion, let's get into that. Yep. So I actually really like a lot of the secret stuff in Kingdom Hearts simply because I kind of like the the cryptic next time on Kingdom Hearts thing, but it's it's they're not they're being really cagey about it. This is one of my favorite of those. Yep. I love secret episode. All our parts here, they, they each of these have different titles. First one, Hidden Truths. The blank points. We have Zeno and Terra standing apart on a void. Both We can see both the figures and their faces also take up the edges of the screen staring at each other. Darkness rules your heart. It gives me control. Muscle and sinew that once obeyed you now rebels against you. How you can remain here at all confounds the mind. It's still my heart. You think you can just come in here and take over? I'm not going to sit by unless that happen. Hmm. Don't even entertain any notions of escaping me, boy. In the end, your heart will be engulfed by mine forever. Wrong. You're going to get shown the door, old man. As I recall, you wouldn't even handle your own darkness. How then will you triumph over mine? You'll find out soon enough. Oh? So that's how it is, is it? Someone else has set foot in your heart. Ericus, you sly fox. I'm not afraid of what the darkness holds now. Even if you do wrest control of my heart for me, 
even if you cast me into the deepest, darkest abyss, you'll never sway me from the one cause that pushes me to keep on fighting. Whatever the cost, I'm ready to pay it. Brave words to be sure, but I'm a patient man. We can take as much time as we need to settle this little property dispute. However, know this. You're just one of many roads I might choose to take. Trust me, I made certain of that. <laughs> I like this one because it kind of shows how, that how good of a schemer Xehanort really is, because it's one of those things where he says that, you know, you're just one of many roads I might choose to take. And he means it. Got so many irons in the fire. Yeah. I mean, at least he's not planning on his one perfect plan. He's just going to throw so much shit at the wall and see what sticks. I, I mean, <laughs> all of his plans are variations of the same thing, but he's also just kind of like, if one of these works, it's cool. I, I'm totally fine if this works. And this is just the hot new Odd Couple sitcom we'll be seeing next next year. <laughs> Xehanort <laughs> and Tara in their darkest apartment. <laughs> sequel to Riku and Ansem. Oof. Which also, which might also have Terra and Xehanort inside it. This is, this is all layers. Gotcha. You get the impression this happens at a subconscious level. This is still happening, even as the amnesic Xehanort is existing in Radiant Garden. Especially since the next scene goes to him, so it really has that uh, semantic implication that these are connected times. The next yeah. scene is titled, Image of Their Backs Preserved in Memory. And we cut to Xehanort, who is now Ansem's assistant, walking through the basement of the Radiant Castle Garden. He's just all serious, not really, in fact, not saying anything at all. And then just Bragg shows up, puts his arm around his shoulder, doesn't get shoulder thrown for it, though I think that'd be most people's reaction to Bragg. Yeah. <laughs> like, Bragg calls, oh. old, Bragg calls him old man, which Xehanort seems a bit incredulous about. He still doesn't say anything. Yeah. Bragg is, says to tell him that the amnesia was some sick joke. Complains that it's kind of a cliche. It checks to make sure that Xehanort isn't Terra. Who's just staring at him with with just like with narrowed eyes, like what is this guy? Yep, yep. He just whaps him on the back, knocks him forward. Yeah, you see Xehanort just sort of his head bent from it. It's like, oh, god damn it! So I'm just an engineer trying to do my job, and this weirdo pirate motherfucker won't leave me alone. Yep. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because because you know, essentially, it's confirming that. Bragg still kind of sees his deal with Xehanort as on, even though Xehanort yeah. forgets it. Bragg still has a stake in this arrangement. Yeah. He, he, he's confused, but he's worried. He basically says he's still got your back. He, so yeah. he's, he, he assumes that sooner or later things will go forward. You see, he still decides he's been on the right horse and doesn't want to risk uh, leaving that path and suddenly finding himself on the wrong end of the anger. Right. <laughs> and possibly like, what? I don't know. <laughs> Meanwhile, Ansem and Yenzo are sharing some sea salt ice cream. And then they look at Bragg and Xehanort. They actually like turn the other way in the hallway, so they turn all the way back around. Like Yenzo seems to notice that the two of them just walking together, and Ansem just kind of gives it a look. Kind of unreadable, to be honest. The next section is titled, To Her Never Meant to Meet. And we're at the dark march and the beach with the arches again. And we see a man sitting in one of the cloaks. And it's clear as soon as he speaks, once again, it's Diz. You can even see his face in this time. It's like, they're not hiding it from us. It is Ansem in a Pugas coat. The funny thing is they're, they're practicing this shadowed effect where you can see like half the face underneath. I think they were kind of showing that like with how they were showing Xi'an's face back in 3 yeah. but they've enhanced it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, and Aqua approaches because Aqua's still here. She's just not having a good day. Yeah. 
Is, does she ever have a good day anymore? <laughs> Worst day of my life. Worst day of your life so far. So they're on the beach at the Dark Margin, which is a place in the world of darkness that we have seen quite a bit of already. Oh, yeah, it's it keeps coming up. Oh. It just seems to be, I think, like we've heard Nomura say, it's kind of an in between between the dark world and other areas, like well, the yeah. sea or somewhere else. It seems like it might be connected in some way to the beach at Destiny Islands. Stora and Riku were there, and the door to the light that appeared from their hearts in the letter led them to Destiny Islands. But also, we knew that Xemnas could access it as well as Roxas in certain time frames. Yeah. We also and, know from that little line that apparently Xehanort, like the original old man Xehanort, came from Destiny Islands, question mark, or at least yeah. is related to it. No, no, he called it the land he grew up in. He, he said that more than once. No, Mira calls it the border of the darkness. So honestly, you say this is Aqua, the furthest out of the darkness she's been in a while, possibly. He's like, oh, I don't give visitors that often. Yep. Uh, Aqua asks why he's in the realm of darkness. He says it's the second time he's been on the shores. He doesn't remember who he is or where he came from. That's convenient. Yeah, that's the story he's sticking to for when people come to him for his many crimes. I don't know that guy. Uh, you, you must have someone else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Santa kind of quietly shoves that giant heart downloader machine under his under his cloak. So we said Ansem the Wise, right? This is yes. Ansem the Wise. Yeah, yes. that's why I said Biz the start. This is the part in at the end of, sorry, the Kingdom Hearts and some journals, right? Where he gets no. kind of stuck in the world of darkness, right? No, no. no. This is after That's, Kingdom Hearts 2. He said quite clearly, this is the second time I've been here. Oh, and yeah, he true. Story about the boy who slept who we performed research on. Yeah. Oh, like, okay. Yeah. Ansem asks if Aqua wants to return to her own world. And Aqua is kind of thinks she still needs to be here. Well, she says I had a. Pro- she kind of just says she made a promise with her friends. Yeah. He comments that this world is washing away his mind. He's implied that before, so it seems Aqua's clinging to her one story. Like she's knows she's been here a long time. She has no idea how long. So I guess here's the question then: Since Ansem died in Kingdom Hearts two, as far as we know, does that up. mean? Yeah, he blew up. Does that mean that the world of darkness is an afterlife for the entire setting in some way? No, I don't know how clear that is. Yeah, I mean, he blew up in a big explosion of data and hearts. Clearly, he just got transported again. <laughs> um, I think it makes it's fine for him to be here. Uh, like I said, he blew up in he blew up in magic heart science and also and also data downloading. We've and we'll see in the past and the future that does some weird shit. Yeah, that's true. I do not believe he is dead in any way. I don't know where he got the cloak, though. After this, Ansem remembers a boy he once met. Yep. Well, because you because you said the word friends, and anyone who spent five minutes around Sora, he's the first one you're going to think of. Ansem informs her that the worlds have been threatened many times, and the boy with the Keyblade has arrived time and again to save the day. And so Aqua thinks it might be Terra or Ven. So is her name Terra or Ventus? No. Ah, damn it. Yeah, so. <laughs> I gotta say, I, I kind of overplayed the reaction. She's like, yeah, I guess I should have known. <laughs> and some reminiscence about how long it's been since he met him. Like, it's been at least a year, apparently. So. I'm just going, well, I was, I, maybe it was wrong to experiment on that kid in the coma and his other self who I turned into a unwitting participant by wiping his memory. But I was very scholarly. Yep. 
And, Though he does admit that his revenge, he, he's he's saying how bad what he did was, but. Yep. So Ansem has had a bit of time to reflect on how bad he was. Yep. I mean, if you're stuck in an infinite darkness for a long time, eventually you'll start to reflect on your sins, right? Yeah. Anyway. The sort of thing I need to do something was like clearing my conscience, but I hid my research inside him. I feel like maybe what? that's important. What? <laughs> you do that? He said it. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. Sora has some data in him that's the result of Ansem's research. Uh, data in Sora. Hmm. He could open the right door and save all those people whose lives I managed to ruin. So many are waiting for the new beginning. They're birthed by sleep. Even me. And even you. What's this boy's name? His name is... The next scene is called All the Pieces Lie Where They Fell. And we're going through a montage. Yay! Yep. <laughs> First, we're at the Haunted Mansion in Twilight Town. Namine is drawing pictures in her sketchbook. She's drawing Sora and Destiny Islands because that's her favorite thing to draw. <laughs> yep. She smiles and says, Sora. Then we cut to Roxas, Axel, and Shion sharing sea salt ice cream on the usual spot on the tower. Everyone's doing their favorite thing. <laughs> yep. Three stop mid bite, look to the sky and see in unison, Sora. We see Ventus at the land of departure. He's sleeping in kind of like a uh, stone formation. And then he's woken up by Terra approaching him. They both look up to the night sky. And they say in unison, Sora. <laughs> and then we go back to the beach. We can only assume that he said the name uh, presumably five times. Because like, what we've seen here, that was all symbolic. Yep. Mm-hmm. Tears are falling down Aqua's face. She looks out across the water and says, Sora. Sora? Sora? Sora! Hi. <laughs> This is the part of the ending where everyone looks at the sky and says Sora. Yep. <laughs> well, considering the word Sora means sky, it's, it seems like it's Japanese. It's a little sarcastic. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like the name may have like a intended symbology, but it's hard to yeah. suss out. Oh, but that literally is what the word can mean. And I know it's a yeah. common meaning for it. So it'd be kind of looking at this. I just I would kind of think it would be an interesting English comparison. I mean, I think it makes sense that the concept of hope is being pinned on a boy whose name means sky, because looking up at the sky is you can see a bright blue uh, horizon Mm -hmm. and uh, see endless possibilities. Sora is a great symbol for hope. Let's go check in with him. We're back to Sora at the end of Kingdom Hearts 2 and, you know, his upgraded outfits, a little taller, sitting on the pop poetry again. And this scene is called Where They Wait For Him. Sora's looking nice and determined. Anyway, Riku needs a haircut. Orderly style. Like, I mean, I don't mind the long hair so much, but he needs a style. Like, the fact he's just kind of growing over his head everywhere is a bit messy. <laughs> Sora has read the message in the bottle, and I, it's Riku that asks if his mind made up, right? It's like, yeah. When Kyrie comes out, he says, like, Sora says how they need him. Yep. He has to go, I am who I am because of them. See you soon. See you real soon. I guess at the end of Kingdom Hearts 2, everybody went back to their own worlds. Yeah. Including them. And then they got a letter from King Mickey, and that's what we're finally getting to here. Yeah, yep. they got a letter from King Mickey that apparently has told Sora that all these people exist. I wonder why he wrote that letter. The way he says he is who he is because of them, it, it doesn't leave much room for who he's talking about. Right. And then on the screen we get Reconnect Kingdom Hearts. And then as we see the sea might be ending, suddenly things change. Young Sora's on the beach. Kyrie approaches him. One. Aqua returns to the dark margin, or perhaps she's here for the first time. Zero. 
And then suddenly Aqua goes through a rewind. Zero point. All the zero point scenes rewind. Then we go back to Aqua's realization with her wayfinder in the darkness. And as you said, zero points. As long as you're with me, I'll always find my way back. Always. And the realm of darkness trembles and shards of light appear everywhere as the wayfinder glows. A pillar of darkness shoots through it. Aqua wonders what's going on. 0.5. We attain, we attain a map. Yay, key items. It's time for the final area. <laughs> Aqua sent her keyblade with Terra. She can only use Ericus's Master's Defender keyblade. It's a neat little keyblade. I like it. I got this elegant, simple style of like the, uh, it's like the ele- an elegant weapon, not clumsy like a blaster because, again, Mark. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, kind yeah. of like it looks like uh, an actual old timey key, which is kind of a counterpart to the kingdom key. So it has like its blade is a little longer and, and, and sharper looking than your normal teeth would be. So it, it still has the edge to it. I feel like it's a little longer than Aqua's other Keyblade model. Oh, it is. It's much. It's, I think it's actually the longest Keyblade we've seen. Well, Terra has a Claymore Keyblade, so I guess you have to compare there. I think it's longer than Terra's, but really, it's the Sephiroth katana. You know, oh. huge katana to the two-handed sword that that the Claymore is. Well, I can't call it that one, but when she runs, it clips, the edge clips through the ground, so it is quite long for her model. This area has a lot of simple, fun platforming. Ha, 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 ha. No, it's not fun. It's it, yeah. This is Birth by Sleep trying to do platforming is not good. <laughs> it really just says how miserable Aqua's is. She's just constantly fighting shadows and neo shadows. Yeah, like, and I guess it's kind of okay that we're fighting Heartless instead of Unverse. That's fine. I like that. Well, no, it shouldn't be Unverse anymore, period. True. Yeah, no one verse anymore. Hooray. Like, like, like they, they form its spawn point. She has to shut down little portals. She bounces off pillars of darkness to climb up these twisted, weird root-like structures. Yeah. And she's just traveling, like not sure where – it doesn't even seem like she's sure where she's going. You're just kind of going through this this decently long dungeon. And as you finally get towards the end of the path, a path seemingly made of darkness and thorns opens before us to reveal a red eye in the center of a of, of a clearing uh, marking the area where we're going to fight something. It sees Aqua. They said when we see from the eye's viewpoints. Yep. <laughs> and by the way, this is after going through all sorts of like arenas, fighting heartless, opening zones, yep. being surrounded by massive swarms of them. It's just like, it's, it's just ongoing. So we finally reach sort of this, this almost forest like clearing though. Again, there's nothing living. New music, Hunter of the Dark plays. See the two eyes, they kind of swirl through the darkness. Like you see them leaving trails, but you can't really see. Even when the creature runs out and strikes at Aqua, it's this massive blob of shadow that's indistinct. Yep. She acknowledges that it's not an unverse, which I think she, I wonder if that means she thought the other Heartless were unversed. I don't know why she'd think that. And by the way, did, well, she calls it a dweller of darkness. Did the, did they never have to deal with Heartless? I don't think they did. Like, um, I mean, we know that uh, when, uh, Master Xehanort was training Ventus that uh, he was seeking Neo Shadow. He was using Neo Shadows, but these Keyblade wielders have not encountered Heartless before, and I don't know if Eric has taught them about Heartless. It just seems strange because Heartless, like free the hearts, destroy the Heartless, one of the main things a Keyblade does. And well, I, that's I, just one thing that I, it can do, though. That's the thing that Sora got it and learned it to do, learned to do with it. But it's clear that Keyblades have. Um, have a much higher purpose than just that. 
well, it's still, it just, you almost wonder if it's part of like how the dark world is affecting her that she has to like to reorient herself what she's thinking. I, I kind of feel like it's possible that, that whatever this thing is, it is not a heartless itself. Well, it's called a dark hide. I have to say it's heartless colored. So I would be pretty shocked. I think it's a heartless. Mm. Um, yeah. Especially because it's in the realm of dark. I, I, maybe, I, said, I think it may be just she's disoriented, confirming that this is not like all the other small monsters, So, it's, but it's also not on first. Fair. That would be my guess. So, gotcha. like, first first phase, it's hiding in darkness. I think it has pretty easy to avoid attacks. It's been a while since I did this. and like It, it switches to its point of view every so often. You just have to, like, get out of the way of its charge at that time. Right. Um, yeah. The second phase, it hops into darkness and jumps around. And, like, it's I think it's, it's still a pretty easy fight overall. Like, when it comes out of the darkness, it's basically this giant, like a uh, slightly reptilian wolf monster with a huge mane. Mm-hmm. It's tinged in purple and red, so it has a lot of color for a non-emblem heartless. But it's still, like I said, it, and it's very large and it's reasonably fast. But it's just kind of like almost a formality of a fight in many ways. I just realized that's plausible that heartless did not become a common thing among even among the worlds outside of the world of darkness until Ansem did his experiments and made Emblem Heartless. That's I mean, probably perhaps true. We've having, perhaps we've been having the, Cax, the Pax Keybladia or something, and it basically, well, that's why it's just a small tradition of Keyblade Masters just trying to guard things. Yeah, mm-hmm. like it, it might not be all that necessary anymore. They weren't common until things got forced forward. Like, it's possible that, honestly, the darkness just was fairly well sealed until, until Xehanort started poking it. And so... She beats down the creature. Honestly, like I said, this was a pretty simple fight. Even when it starts warping the multiple colored like, echoes of itself, it just kind of stays in one place you hit it. It's kind of cool looking there, but again, it wasn't really impressive as a fight. Yeah, I mean, again, what I, like I said earlier, it's good when final fights are easy because we don't want to deal with this too much. Just I mean, and I do feel the theme here is Aqua's not having problems with any one fight, but she is constantly fighting. Yeah. So we have... So she beats it down, and then she once again we see her wandering through the field, and then suddenly something appears in front of her. It's the Castle of Dreams. And with that, Secret Episode comes to an end. One more bit of scenes that we A get. A fragmentary passage, and it goes so, through many fast images. When we say the Castle of Dreams, I'm assuming that means it's... Uh, Cinderella's world. Cinderella's yes. world, yeah. Okay. The reasonably distinct castle, especially since it's the one that really the only one we saw that directly. Like it looks different from Sleeping Beauty's castle, and we really don't get a good long shot of uh, the one in Jorp Woodlands either. So, so is this indicative of the fact that Cinderella's world has been plunged into darkness? Yes. Well, it, is. it strongly indicated that this be the rewind tells us this is well before anything like that was before she met Diz. So this probably is well before the events of Kingdom Hearts one. So when the worlds start falling. A text appears on the screen, a fragmentary passage. It starts flashing forward. So Mickey is walking with the Star Seeker. He's walking on the paths Aqua before the Baron floating in the land of darkness. He's looking very serious. We see Riku carrying Kairi. Clearly, the, the unconscious and lifeless Kairi from Kingdom Hearts 1 is they're both in that model. He's standing on Big Ben from Neverland. We see Donald and Goofy in Traverse Town. You worried? We see Hainer, Pencilette, and Kyrie at the old mansion, which I believe was from Kingdom Hearts 2. We see Sora floating in the pod with this, walking on to him, reading it, like, like tapping on a panel in front of him. And then we have 
Roxas and Shion confronting Riku with his blindfold? Well, they're walking and then it pans up and then it cuts to Riku. My impression is he was watching from above. But to be honest, it, 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 it's really hard to say. The only thing you can say is that the lighting is basically the same. And finally, we have a young what looks to be a young Xehanort at the beach at Destiny Islands. He turns as he turns, he turns first into into his heartless and then into Zemnis. And then after Zemnis, it flashes a master Xehanort for a split second. A second flash, we see his eyes up close. And then we have rapid flashes. We see Sora from behind sitting in the Palpu tree again, looking out to the beach. Another flash and he's gone, leaving the beach empty. Then we cut to Ventus sitting in the in the chamber of waking. And our flash and once again he is empty and the person is gone. Birth by Sleep, Volume Two. That's it for Birth by Sleep. Oof. <laughs> yeah, holy that shit, is- what a wild ride of a game. It sure is something to say when it's such a when it's such a wild uh epilogue exists entirely just to show like here's where things could go forward. It, this ending, the secret episode in particular, is doing a lot of heavy lifting for what's the next phase of Kingdom Hearts. I guess you could say that this is the the Kingdom Hearts 2 phase, like the, the phase of 2, 3, 5, 8, and this are kind of their own segments. Yeah. But you might also separate two even further if you chose. Um, so what I would say the phases of Kingdom Hearts are, there's Kingdom Hearts 1, which is just against Ansem. Uh, the second phase is Chain of Memories through Kingdom Hearts 2. Yeah. We are in the smack middle of the third phase, going from 358 over two days to Birth by Sleep. At the end of Birth by Sleep is sort of the halfway point of that phase. See, I'm not sure. I might personally consider Coded and Beyond a fourth phase. Maybe. Well, okay. So I think I think each phase is sort of capped by a mainline game. The, so the first half of this phase is setting the stakes, saying these are who matter going forward. With 350 over two days, we had the introduction of Xion along with explaining what Rockus and Axel's deal really was. And more about the nobodies that make us reconsider yeah. what we were thinking about them and what and just what led to their actions. Yeah. And uh, and it concludes with their tragedy that uh, basically showed us what the state of the world was in at the start of Kingdom Hearts 2. Birth by Sleep introduces us to who exactly Xehanort really is and also shows us three people whose lives he completely ruined. I mean, quite clearly, it was like without a doubt, he he broke their lives apart. Yep. The fact that any of them survive is more, is more an accent than anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so going into this next part, we have set the stakes. We know who we should care about going forward. Uh, so we need that's only half the equation, though. The next part is making sure the right people know about that so that we can get ready for the big fight which will be the key <laughs> to the space. Yes. So, Very so, yes. Yeah, I suppose thinking about it, I, I guess I can consider Coded to be an onward to be a new phase because I think the fact of of uh, of Xehanort, of Master Xehanort being the prime villain here finally revealed, it, it only gets resolved in Kingdom Hearts 3. But you know what? I don't want to talk about Coded yet. I kind of don't want to talk about Coded at all. I kind of don't <laughs> want to talk about video games right now. Mm. I wa- let's not talk about video games next week, guys. I want to watch some anime. Oh, boy. <laughs> you know what anime I want? I want something with giant robots. I want something hot-blooded. I want to shut my brain down and just, like, not worry about anything. Just go beyond the impossible, kick reason to the curb, square cube lobby damned. 
But John, it's really hard to find an okay guy right now. You're correct. But <laughs> I think there's a better option right now. Next week, we're going to talk about one of my favorite animes of all time. Tengen Topa Garen Lagan. Until then, and I'm Jared. I'm John. And I'm Matt. And remember, a good story is best enjoyed with friends. Thank you for listening to Backlog Dialogues. If you're enjoying our deep dives and discussions, be sure to leave a five-star review on the podcatcher of your choice. If you're really enjoying our deep dives and discussions, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash backlogdialogues. If you'd like to hear more episodes, you can find our archives at backlogdialogues.com. Special thanks to Eli for our theme song. Kingdom Hearts and all associated trademarks are the property of Disney and Square Enix. Please support the official release. Time for five minutes of bullshit. What do we got for this week for five minutes of bullshit? Well, John <laughs> arguing that the most recent Marvel movie is Kingdom Hearts. It is. <laughs> Thor Love and Thunder is Kingdom Hearts. We have this guy, he has a mystic weapon, he's fighting against a being that's the embodiment of despair and wanting to, and wanting to destroy the uh, the structure of the world and its power structure. No, it's not just that, though. It's First of all, it's cosmic scale, cosmic yes. power level, which Kingdom Hearts clearly is, mm-hmm. and the solution is the solution to all the darkness in the world, uh, all the darkness coming to engulf the world, is the light in the heart of children. Yes. Not <laughs> to mention the villain wants to reach the center of the of, of the known reality in order yes. to remake it. Yeah, the villain wants to get to Eternity. wants to get to Kingdom Hearts to remake reality. Thor Love and Thunder is a Kingdom Hearts movie. And, 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 even, and we even and we even fight in a black and white world. Yes. The player, the player, the player. Four, three, two, one. Completion. Completion. The player, the, the player. Five, four, three, two, one. Completion. Completion. I, <laughs> I think we're a little bit. <laughs> I think you're a little bit behind, Matt. But maybe you're yeah. Like, sorry. Both of you, both you come behind to me, but I think that's because the sinking is so high. Yeah, I think maybe. we if might could... have to do something like, uh, like have I'll, us do it I'll, three at a time, around. one at a time. I'll fiddle around with it. Okay. Um, if we have to re-record that part later, we'll find out, I guess. Yep. Uh, maybe let's just all do a clean the player, the player completion for each of us. Yep. yep. You go you go first, Jared, because you know the rhythm of it best, and we can mimic you. Welcome to Backlog Dialogues, the podcast that digs you out of your backlog before it buries you. I'm John, and joining me as always are the... Hold on a second, my computer monitor just decided to go down. Let me start over. <laughs> and we, and we hear, hear Sora's, Sora's voice. voice. Oh. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, unlike our... Yeah. Yeah, unlike Arnold Aird, uh, unlike Arnold, uh, oh, God damn it, I can't even talk right now. <laughs> unlike Arnold. Renewal or Barrier?